This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith, joining me this week, James, Natalie and Kevin to go over a home win and an away defeat. Feels like deja vu and guess what else feels like deja vu, getting screwed over at Arsenal in the last minute for a goal that should not have been a goal. Um, Natalie, let's start with you, it feels like we just said exactly the same things as we did after the, the home game against Arsenal when Arsenal scored a goal in the last minute that shouldn't have counted. Oh my god. Where do you even start with it? Like we laugh at people who say it's a conspiracy, but honestly, it feels like there's a conspiracy. I can't even deal with this right now. I honestly thought we may, we may as well just not bother recording this evening and just roll out the podcast that we did from the turf more like because all the same points go. But it's just I, I don't. I've spent the last twenty four hours flitting between unbelievable frustration and actual rage. I'm quite embarrassed to admit that when the um, second penalty went in, the winner, I did actually turn around and kick the wall and I've hurt my toe quite badly. (laughs) And some rather unfamily-friendly podcast language may have come out of my mouth at the same time, but I just... Shocking. I know. Honestly, I'm a disgrace, but seriously, it was just... It's just so frustrating. This... Surviving in this league when you're a club club like Burnley and you're trying to do things the right way and you're trying to build a business and you're trying to build something that's going to last for a good few years is hard enough without having the officials and just just having things that go against you that really shouldn't go against you. We've said this time and time again on the podcast, this is supposed to be the elite league in the world and the standard of refereeing this week, sorry, this year, season is awful and it's not just us every single week at the end of the fixtures we're talking about some game against some club where something's gone wrong and it's cost them points and it's just beyond frustrating yeah i mean i've got some sympathy for the referees because i think with the technology that's there now it needs to be used to help them out so I do have some sympathy, but you're right, it seems to be all the time. Like we, 
I think it's been announced today on Monday that Mike Dean's going to referee the Leicester game. He's just been demoted to the Championship for a game in which he managed to get two major penalty decisions wrong and then he gets the Premier League game again. It makes no sense to me. And yeah, you talk about having sympathy for referees, which I think absolutely, and so many of these decisions, it's, it's very difficult to... To, to imagine that you've got to imagine you've got to remember that we get the benefit of different camber angles replays slow-mo etc but but then you look at the offside for for arsenal's uh the penalty decision and he was the ref the, the linesman was in the most perfect possible he could not possibly have had a better view he was literally dead on the line he was and, coming back from offside wasn't he so the only possible explanation was that the linesman thought they got back on side yeah moving but you know, he, he, he's got to make that. He's got to get that decision right. There's, there's no real kind of defence of that. That's a really, it's a really poor decision. But like you say, um, there is there, there is technology we, we we can use. Whether it's what whether the, what the form of the technology is, and exactly the same conversation we had last time. But surely, in you, you look at how much money is riding on in, in Premier League games, and you know the potential that if we if we were to go down or anyone if anyone was to go down by by one goal goal difference or something like that or just one point and the amount of money that's riding on that it is surprising that we 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 can have such basic human error. It is it's very frustrating. I mean, luckily for us, it doesn't look like it's going to be that costly. If we were to get relegated by a point or two after what's happened in the Arsenal games, then it would be incredibly annoying but it doesn't look like it's going to cost in that way and I suppose all the other clubs will be able to point at things that have gone that way. On balance I don't think we've got the decisions that we should have over the season. Um, got a quote here from Howard Webb former elite official John Moss the referee yesterday. Webb says Moss showed a lot of courage to the game in front of 60,000 people. That's his job so <laughs> uh, lots of people still accuse referees of favouring the big club or being homers and think of many examples that dispel this claim and yesterday proved that our top referees do things without fear or favour um, James it seems like a bit of a strange quote to me yes he sent off Granite Shaka but I don't think that was questionable yes he gave us a penalty but again that was fairly blatant and it felt like evening it up at the end to me the penalty that he gave to them yeah, I read this in the the Times at, at lunchtime, and I'd, I was astounded, to be honest. You know, you, you look at the the penalty later on, and it, it's not just the the penalty itself. You know, if you look at the time that was added on, there were seven minutes added on. Um, which, you know, it's quite a long time, but there was a long stoppage for for Defoe after the the red card. There was a long stoppage for Marnie. You know, there was probably seven minutes worth of added time in there. He, he then gives the penalty, which. Obviously, it's the linesman's fault primarily that he doesn't notice that there is an offside there. But I know in the quote before that, actually, Howard Webb says he thinks it is a penalty and Mee's foot was too high. But I think it's ridiculous that Mee should be penalised for going for the ball when a, a player's on his blind side. He's putting his head in a vulnerable position rather than the boot being in a dangerous position. Um, and then he's gone down like he was shot. The boot's only like just made contact with like his cheek and he, he holds his face like he's been punched. And, you know, I think if the FA had already brought in, uh, you know, the measures they were talking about for simulation, you'd have to take a look at that one and say, well, yeah, there was contact, but did the contact justify the reaction? Because um, I think it doesn't. And, and then after the penalty, 
he only plays maybe like another 30 seconds, whereas the stoppage from the penalty should mean there's another couple of minutes added on. So, you know, the consistency there, I don't think there was any, you know. Webb says he's courageous in front of 6,000 people. Well, as you say, it's his, one, it's his job. Two, he absolutely wasn't. You know, that penalty felt a lot like even in the game up at the end. You know, he's just given a penalty to the away team. Oh, I've got to give a, a penalty to the home team now because it, it looks like it could be one. And then he blows up pretty quick after. You know, who knows what could have happened. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I don't know what, what the time was exactly when Arsenal scored their penalty, but I, did, I thought it was weird that he blew straight away. When we'd probably spent, it felt like, a long time celebrating Andre Gray's goal. Yeah, exactly. You, you, there was you meant to add goals. on 30 seconds for a goal, aren't you? And it, it felt like much more than 30 seconds. Yeah, you know, and, and around obviously protesting decisions. They protested the penalty, we protested the penalty. You know, there must have been another two minutes in there at least. Yeah. And, of that seven minutes at a time, how much actual football do you think was played in that? Yeah, probably just a no, couple of minutes. And, and I think you see that a lot in football. You know, you look at added time, um, and I think for a long time now, it's almost been, you know, you get like a token minute for the first half, don't you? And then you get two, three, four for the second half. And I don't know whether there's actually that much science to it. I know, you know, there's meant to be like 30 seconds for a goal, so many seconds for a substitution. But I think at the end of the day, the figure sort of put out of the air. And uh, I think it's just generally consistency, isn't it, with refereeing? And, you know, whether it be how much time's been added on, you know, whether he compensates for time being wasted during added time or penalty decisions, decisions against diving. You know, some referees will book the player, which is, you know, obviously the right thing to do. And then other ones will just sort of not give it and let it go. So I just don't think there's, you know, the consistency there that one you know, prevents people doing stuff that's wrong for the game in the first place. You know, if you book players for simulation and you book them consistently, you would stamp it out eventually. You know, and if you you give the correct decisions regularly, managers will stop complaining about referees and, you know, referees can then stop this sort of, well, it's former referees, obviously the referees not talking to the press, but stop this whole referees are sort of a victimised group Um, because I think it's not true. Yeah, um, Kevin. Not want to spend the whole podcast talking about the referees, but what was your view of the the big incidents, the Shaka red card and the two penalties? Do you think um, they were all correct? But specifically, the last one, obviously the most controversial one, the penalty against us at the end. What's your take? Uh, this might be unsurprising to hear on a on a Burnley podcast, but I think <laughs> the, the first two decisions were correct, and uh... <laughs> the ones that went in half heavy. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I think the, the the red cards is the right decision. Our penalty is the right decision. It's a modern uh, red card, isn't it? He's off the ground, therefore he's got to be sent off. Like, yeah, exactly. You can't yeah. make those tackles, he says. Yeah, you, we talk about consistency. That, that's the sort of decision. But but if, if if referees are going to be consistent, that is a red card because that's you. But you see red cards for that that so, so often now. So that sure. is a red card. Um, Our penalty, I think Barnes probably makes the most of it, but he has kicked in so. Yeah, and and you could say that you know maybe it's about time we make most of it because there's been so many yeah. times this season when we I think we've, before we've as deserved. well the the, the Shaq tackle is a red card but we've had a couple of those Stephen Ward had one didn't he earlier in the season someone went in like that on him and he just got up and carried on but before yeah. made sure that the referee had to make a big decision it's it's a fine line isn't it because you can say there's a fine line between making the most of it and kind of over-egging it and, and getting to the stage of cheating but I think it, it's almost 
in a way, it's almost become a bit of an art of a modern game. It's that if you get a kick, it's making sure that the, the referee's seen that and making sure that that, that is emphasised. So, yeah, and I think probably a few occasions we've been guilty of being too 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 honest and too trying to trying to get back up and play on the game a bit more. We could have just made, made it clear that oh, this is a foul. Um, so I'm I'm not going to complain too much if we've if we've if we have really emphasised that it was a foul and, and got the decision from it. Yeah, um, Natalie, if we can um, try and talk about the game itself a bit. Uh, Burnley competed really, really well. I don't think Arsenal were at their best, but that was partly the way we played. Andre Gray had a very good game as an eight ball up front. Um, you predicted one all, hadn't you? Do you think we we did just about enough to earn that point? Yeah, I really did. Um, I was really, really pleased with the performance yesterday. We seem to just be getting better and better away from home. We are getting to... closer, aren't we? Yeah, we definitely <laughs> we are. Can... We're now yeah. losing by one goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, bear in mind as well that our last three away performances against Spurs, City and Arsenal have all been very top clubs places that you would never expect to get any points from at all and we've put in really good performances in those games all that you can ask is that number one the players do their best that they don't just roll over and let teams um, play the way they want to play and number two that they stay in the game and compete and for the last three away games Burnley have done that I was very very encouraged to see that um, game yesterday to the point where I'm, I'm kind of not worried about our our away form anymore um, I thought we had a poor start in terms of our away games I thought we, we looked um, a little bit toothless away from from home but certainly in the latter stages I think we've, we've improved massively um, I think if you look at a combination of a slow start to Premier League life and just adapting to the way this league plays and also um, the kind of games we've had to play away from home the first half of this season, I think arguably there's only really West Brom and West Ham where we could have expected to have gone away and got something from. Um, the rest of the the rest of the fixtures, you, you look at them and think, well, they aren't the teams, they aren't the games, sorry, they're going to define our season. They aren't yeah. the games where we're going to decide whether we get six, the points. Six of the bottom seven still to play exactly. away from home. Yeah, so and if I, if we're still not getting anything from Watford away, Palace away, Bournemouth away, Swansea away, Hull away, yeah. all these games that we've got coming up, then it'll be more of a concern. Yeah, exactly. And I think they're the games that we measure our season. And to be honest, given our home form and given probably the number of wins, I think people are, are currently predicting that maybe four wins and we're safe. Um, so given that we probably will get two of those from home, we really only need to get... Um, a few points from those games away from home. You know, we're not talking about a huge amount of that we need here. Um, I think if I was going to be super critical about yesterday, um, I would have liked us to have been less um, careless with the ball. I think sometimes when we got possession, we rushed it. Um, and I think we lost possession quite a lot in those positions. I also think we didn't take advantage of the 10-man situation. I think we we went, we played far too cautious where we, we were already 1-0 down when they had a player sent off. That was a perfect opportunity just to go for it and be really positive. Um, so I think there's lessons learned there. I think, But I don't think that was a fundamental flaw. I think it was just a nervousness about the side and Deitch just really taking hold of an opportunity that was presented to them but that will come yeah I think um, we were probably a bit worried about Arsenal's pace on the break so we didn't want to commit too many players forward too early and then them get a second or a third and kill the game off but I agree I think we had to go for it a bit more um, an old bugbear James but use of subs Joey Barton looked like he was going to come on and then sat down for five minutes don't know why that was the case and although Dean Marnie's injury complicated matters 
putting on James Tarkovsky when you're playing against 10 men seemed like a strange one to me. Yeah, I'm going to put a couple of quid straight in the Cartley Swear jar because... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> when, you're, when you're up against 10 men, I mean, to me, surely you bring on a winger before you bring on a centre-half playing in central midfield. Because if the reason Cartley never gets a look in is because he doesn't do enough defensive work, you know, like Arfield or Boyd does, then surely when you're up against 10 men, that, that's less of a concern. And you'll be looking more for maybe someone who's maybe going to show a bit of something on the ball. I understand what people say when they say Tarkovsky has done a good job, good enough job in central midfield. But I think yesterday there was a lot of talk on Twitter about people saying that, you know, maybe we don't need to get another central midfielder because, you know, if Marnie is injured for a while, Tarkovsky can step in. Well, he could do for maybe a game. But do you want Tarkovsky to play in central midfield all the way to the end of the season? You know, I think he equips himself well. You know, he puts in a good shift, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with how he plays in central midfield. But I don't think he play he can play the same system our central midfielders can. You know, he's not as quick either on the ball or in general as our central midfielders are. I think when he gets the ball, he slows the play down quite a bit. You know, he's got a nice touch; he can play the ball definitely. But you saw when he got the ball um, late on against Arsenal. He, he didn't create the space that some of our other players were. Like, you know, Matt Lawton, I think, created a, a good bit of space for himself a few times and you know got crosses in. And really, we, when we were pushing on, we needed Tarkovsky to be doing the same thing. We needed anyone who got on the ball to be doing the same thing. Yeah, um, Barton was really trying to spread. He like, got a couple of these long passes wrong, but he was trying to find yeah, the space but, and you know, work, work the back. opportunities against the 10 men and try and move the ball quickly. Yeah, he was trying to pick the man in space. He was trying to spread the ball. But when Tarkovsky got it, he was looking for the easy pass, which, fair enough, he doesn't want to give possession away. But when you're in that situation... You need to be a you, bit riskier. Yeah, you, you need to play the ball. You need to be looking to, to try and get the ball to a player who's in a position to make something happen. And uh, I just felt like that wasn't the right way to go at that point in the game. You know, maybe you could have kept before on. It, you know. He's played a couple of 90 minutes. He played 90 minutes in both cup games against yeah. someone, so... And again, can you maybe carry him a little bit if he can't get back defensively just to keep his cross on the ball? Barton tends to sit a bit further back anyway than Marnie does, so maybe you, you're he not He could have pushed the four forward. He could have said to Fogo, try and play in the hole and make things happen yeah. there. He had a few options. Um, I want to talk a bit more about Tarkovsky in midfield, Kevin, because keep seeing on Twitter now that he's too good to leave out. But when you suggest that maybe he could play in defence instead of one of the defenders. People seem to lose their minds. <laughs> I'm a fan of Ben Mee. I thought he had an outstanding game um, at Arsenal. He was our best player at Arsenal, I think. But he did give away a penalty at the end, and it's a few goals recently that Mee's been at fault for. So I think Tarkovsky, for me, is the change, if there's going to be a change. Um, with Di Marnia presumably going to be out for a little while, at least with his latest injury, Barton potentially a ban coming up. What's your view of the Tarkovsky in midfield situation? Find a place for James Tarkovsky. Oh, well, we've got a place to take James Tarkovsky. That's at the back. He's a defender. Um, like I think, like we said, he's maybe a decent option to bring on uh, for the last five, ten minutes if we in, in midfield if we need to show things up. But it's it's not. That shouldn't be by design. That should be just if if that's what happens. And I think the problem is that. You know, we looked. We look at the last Premier League season, uh, and we went into. We finished January, 
and straight away Dean Marnie got injured that was the end of the season and we had a we were already down to kind of no options so we had to start playing people out of position and that's the problem you get into you know but it's it's okay if, even if you've got him to bring on for five ten minutes at the end of games here and there all you need is a couple of injuries uh, a couple of long-term injuries and then James Tarkovsky does, then, does he then become one of our, our first choice central midfielders um I think to suggest that he can do that is, I think it does a disservice to to our our, our, our actual midfielders. I think it being a Premier League midfielder is not is not an easy job. Uh, People were for, also suggesting it was mooted before the Arsenal game that maybe Tarkovsky could play in front of the defence, maybe slot into a back three at times. But it it just feels to me like people are desperate to come up with solutions to a problem that isn't really there. If you're going to play Tarkovsky. You've got to play him as a defender. Otherwise, it's not fair to play someone in the Premier League who's never played in the Premier League before, play him totally out of position, ask him to do a job in there. When we've got defensive midfielders, uh, Joey Barton is a better midfielder than James Tarkovsky. All of our midfielders are better midfielders than James Tarkovsky. It doesn't make any sense to me. There are all these people saying, play Tarkovsky in midfield. I don't get it. I don't yeah, get it It's, not, it's, it's not an like... emergency option. Yeah, and it's not like we've got to remember. This is I don't I don't know if it's maybe just bit of a championship mentality. You know, a lot of a lot of what you can do in the championship, champions a lot is a lot more based on kind of that desire and that being um, kind of functional strong. football. Like yeah, functional sports. Get away yeah. with it. Whereas the Premier League is a lot more skill based, particularly like 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 we said about midfield, where it is those little bits of. Um, you can't just hack your way through it. It's that little bit like, like James Turk told you about being able, unable to create that space. It's those little things which make a massive difference, and particularly to a, a club like Burnley. Yeah, we're, we're doing very well, but let's let's not pretend we're the best team in the league. We're, we're if if you look at our squad, we're, we're probably better, perhaps better squads beneath us. And we're these all the every single one of our players is playing out of their skins at the moment. They're playing the, the form of their careers. They're absolutely fantastic at the top of their game. Um, but that's because that's because they're, they're, they are playing at, at the best they can. And if you start, if you put James Tarkovsky midfield, he's a fantastic player with him. He oozes classes. If I, think, I can't wait to see him actually get a running beside when when that does happen. And I've got no doubt that, that will happen. But if, if you can't replace a, a Premier League midfielder playing at the top of his game, even if Tarkovsky comes in and plays at the top of his game, he's not going to be at the, top, at the, at the same level as a, as a Premier League midfielder at the top of his game. So that's that's my problem. You know, we, we're in the January window. We've, we have got a little bit of lack of depth in midfield if the mine is going to be out for a while. Um, we, we need to bring in, if, if that's the case, we need to bring it in a central midfielder and you want to hope that James Tarkovsky doesn't need to play in midfield because we've got those options which are specialised in that position. Uh, I love I love Tarkovsky. I think it's great, and I think uh, I I expect him to probably be our, one of our first choice defenders last season, next season. I'd be surprised if if Keane is still uh, sorry if uh, yeah if Keane is still with us, and I think Tarkovsky looks like a ready made replacement. So um, let's 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 look forward to seeing him playing in his actual position rather than. Um, do both him and the team a disservice by playing him in midfield? Yeah, I think um, the, the depth in midfield is a funny one because if, we, if we're going to play 4-4-2, and we have been again recently, it's been a few games in a row, I think, playing 4-4-2. We've got four good quality midfielders. I don't think that's a problem. Um, obviously, DeForce filled in on the left for now because Gunmunson's been injured, but you'd assume when Gunmunson and Arfield 
a fit that Defoe on the left won't be a thing anymore. So I think four for two positions okay. But what it does mean is that if you want to go back to the four five one, then you've only got one player covering three in the team. And I think we are a bit light, so we're going to talk about transfers a bit later in the podcast, but I think an extra player who can at least play central midfield, even if they're not an absolute specialist, I think that would be good um, to bring in. Uh, we'll move on from the Arsenal game shortly, though, but let's go over to Natalie for this week's Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week! 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 Indeed. Well. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> <laughs> this week's Tweet of the Week is very, very topical. It... Have you managed to find a non-sweary one? <laughs> <laughs> I have. It was very difficult this week. There was a lot of um, emotion out there. And, but actually, this this tweet really sums up how we all felt when the anger had gone and the frustration had gone. And I don't think the anger's gone was... yet. <laughs> well, no, but it had died down a little bit and everybody stopped swearing and shouting and, and everything else I haven't and, stopped swearing yet <laughs> okay, and everybody apart from Jamie started doing all these things <laughs> this week's tweet of the week goes to Peter Taylor who sums it up this way he just says I just want Tarkovsky to give me a warm comforting hug Peter don't we all that one our tweet of the week not sure about that one let's move on <laughs> talking about transfers then two players that it sounds like Burnley are making a play for are Robert Snodgrass and Robbie Brady Snodgrass very in demand Hull obviously desperate to keep him but it looks like Snodgrass might well be on the move Brady reportedly we've bid up to 13 million for him trying to make him a club record signing um, James a lot of people I'm sure would love us to sign both of these players um, but firstly, do you think that's realistic that we'd maybe spend twenty million quid on two left-sided wide midfielders? Um, and secondly, which one would you prefer if you had to pick one? Ooh. Second one's a very tough question. I, I think the first bit of that, that was pretty easy. That <clears throat> no, I, I wouldn't like to see us sign both of them. I think it just makes us too weighty on the left-hand side. Now, if you're saying we're going to spend that same sort of money on a winger for each side, then I'd be all for that because I think that's exactly what we need. I know it's not the style of football we play, but if we had the players who could consistently uh, you know, play more of a winger's game, I think Dash would be tempted to sort of deploy it. I think Andre Gray would feed off it really well. Um, and obviously Sam Volks would feed off it you know, from headers. But um, I think the small way you know, screaming out for on our side is a quality winger who can uh, run with the ball because uh, that's, I think, the biggest issue. So with George Boyd, he puts in the, the work rate, but there's times when he gets the ball at his feet and he just doesn't seem... I'm not sure what the right way to put it. He just seems like he, he doesn't really want to have it at his feet. And, uh, you know, he runs into trouble, loses the ball, and then actually, you know, we're back to... George Boyd having to track back and, and pressure people. Whereas if we had someone with a bit of class, you know, even if he doesn't beat his man every time, if he can beat his man a little bit, then you know it can create chances for us in the box. Um, which I prefer. Uh, I think I've seen more of Snodgrass and and um, I, I quite fancy Snodgrass. I think. Um. Kevin, the benefit of Snodgrass is maybe a bit more Premier League experience. He scored a few goals this season, set pieces. He's very strong on. Um, but Brady's a bit younger, he's more versatile, he's also played left-back, so 
There's a good trade-off from there. Do you think either would be suitable? Presumably they'd both go straight into the team over. George Boyd seems to be the one that everyone wants to be upgraded. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think I think Brady seems more like the, the type of player who might fit into our team a little bit more, um, particularly with that. <clears throat> sorry, particularly with that versatility and that. You know, we know that Dice likes his his... His his wide midfield is not going to call them wingers because he rarely plays kind of a traditional winger style football. But he likes his wide midfielders to 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 do a lot of defensive work, particularly as, as well as attacking work. I know Natalie's um, had a few rants recently about George Boyd being asked to do a lot more defending than uh, attacking, which is why potentially why he's been giving, getting some stick for not getting forward enough. It's maybe Dice's tactics asking him to get back. So if Brady can. If Brady's got that in his locker, that seems like an ideal uh, replacement for for Boyd. Yeah, he's got a really good engine, Brady, but I think he does offer a bit more quality on the ball as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's almost like it seems like a great replacement for for Boyd. That you're going to get that bit more spark going forward, but you're not going to lose that that defensive protection there. So for me. Obviously, Snodgrass is a fantastic player. He's got lots of, of very good attributes. But for me, I think Brady seems more like the type of player who would fit into our, our team a little bit more naturally. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, the, the the selling point of Snodgrass for me is I think he's maybe more equipped to make an immediate impact. Whereas I think Brady would be a better sort of medium-term signing. We'd probably see more from him in two, over two, three years. But I think in terms of getting someone who's going to do something straight away hit the ground running, Snodgrass in really good form um, I think that would be the reason to, to maybe go for him instead um, we asked this on Twitter this week, 61% said that Sam Brady, 39% said Snodgrass, so not much in it nearly 1000 people voted in that poll so nice big sample size um, Natalie looks like a winger is the top priority, we've only really heard about wingers, a couple of other names have been thrown out there, like Alex Pritchard the tabloids just grasping at anyone and everyone. Um, there's only a week or so left until the deadline. Is there anywhere else in the squad do you think we need to be looking? Maybe another striker with Bamford going back to Chelsea and then Yeah, tomorrow? that's exactly what I was going to say was, was a striker. And I think, I, I guess this is just picking up on what you just said then about the, um, the Brady-Snodgrass argument. And I agree with your points that um, obviously uh, Snodgrass would make an immediate impact, whereas Brady would be more of a medium-term impact. What we've done this season and the position we've put ourselves in gives us the luxury that we don't need to panic by in January to find a player that will make an an immediate impact. So we don't necessarily need Snodgrass for that. We can afford the luxury of buying a player like Brady and allowing them time to find their feet, just like Hendrick did, find their role in the team and, and put their marker on that team. And I think that's where I'm looking at it from a striker point of view as well. At the moment, we have enough striker options and we are creating enough goals to get us the points on the board that we need. If we look at that, though, Andre, I think, is going to carry on. I think he is going to get a lot better in the in the Premier League. He's already shown this season his improvement. Barnes and Vokes are two that have question marks for me. Um, I think they are both doing a great job so far, but I can't see them improving. I can only see them declining in their ability. Um, yeah, it's like Kev said, players at like, the top of their ability. Yes. Vokes and Barnes are at the top exactly. of their ability. They are, and they are absolutely. They're probably in the bracket at the moment where they're they're a little bit too good for the championship, but just not quite there for the Premiership. But saying that, they are they're doing a really good job so far. But if we start looking at, at the January transfer window now, and we start 
looking at trying to bring players in while we're an attractive proposition. So players are now looking at us and thinking, look at what they've achieved this season. Look at what Deitch is doing. Look at what they're building. Look at the squad they're getting together and they're probably going to survive. Get those players in now that are maybe going to be in their prime next season and start looking to replace and strengthen the, that front line for when we need to go again next season. Because even if we do survive this this season, we go again next season in exactly the same place. Everybody will write us off again next season. People will put us back as relegation favourites. We can't just survive this season and that's it. Job done. We'll just cost us mid-table Premier League team for the next 10 years. That's not going to happen. Um, we have to stay one step ahead of the game. So I would definitely look at a striker, one young striker, an upcoming striker, one that we don't need to put the pressure to find goals on straight away and really strengthen that, that strike attack. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the benefit of being mid-table is that we can take a long-term view and maybe bring in players who've got potential um, rather than someone who we need to deliver straight away and that puts a lot of pressure on someone and not necessarily be able to fit straight into the team either. Um, I think the team's pretty much set in stone um, most of the places, so it's, it's a big ask to sign someone that's going to improve any of the positions really. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about transfers on the next podcast, which hopefully we'll we'll be able to get out before the transfer window closes. So maybe some movement on that. But another game to talk about this week: the cup replay at Turf Moor. Burnley beats London two 0 Very straightforward win. Volks and Gray both on the score sheet. Very professional victory this one, James. Comfortable, controlled. Sunderland didn't really have a chance in the game. Dash made a lot of changes, and the squad rotation showed that there is good depth. Yeah, I think it was exactly what we wanted first time around, really, wasn't it? Um, you know, a little bit disappointing, obviously, that it, it took two games to get it done. But in the end, I think we've shown that um, you know we're more than capable of seeing off a team that previously were relegation rivals. But I think obviously we've moved ourselves sort of above that that status now, and we've got ourselves in the next round of the cup with a pretty favourable draw. And um, you know, if you can keep getting a favourable draw, then it could be something that maybe we can can go a reasonable way in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about the Bristol City game up next. Um, Kevin, one of the reasons that Tarkovsky has been talked about so much um, is off the back of his performances in these cup games. Two clean sheets, um, despite Keane being the only player, regular member of the back five, who's played in those games. Tarkovsky had outstanding games against Sunderland, albeit very, very poor team. Um, but Tarkovsky seems to be the one who, of the squad players, really made a strong case for for more action in those cup matches. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised actually that Keane played. I thought because Keane played in the first leg, I thought maybe um, he would have got a bit of a, uh, a rest and and me played alongside Tarkovsky, particularly if that would that's got more likely of of those two, assuming that Keane and uh, and me remain a partnership for the rest of the season more likely of those two playing together next season unless unless Dyche is thinking that you know me could, could perhaps be, be dropped at some point this season and maybe that's the reason King got both of those games I'm not sure but yeah it was uh, I, I, I didn't make it to that game but watching Twitter afterwards it was it was almost like every single every single tweet was just a, a, a extra superlative uh, superlative uh, of uh, for, for for Tarkovsky every Every tweet was just it was it was it was almost like he'd b- the best performance in history of football. It was a uh... <laughs> there's a lot of excitement about him. It's got to be said. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's fantastic 
problem to have, isn't it? Because I think traditionally, uh, it's I think it's a really good challenge problem to have. You know, we, it's 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 got to be pushing on the likes of of me and Keane to be really at the top of their game to have someone like Tovsky, Tokovsky really pushing uh, pushing behind them to really trying to get into the team and doing. There's not really much more he can do. Really, Tarkovsky, I don't think is. He's he's doing everything he can, so that's gonna that's gonna help us on, on the pitch. Even when he's not playing, he's gonna help push Keen and Keen and me on. So, yeah, that, that's 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 fantastic to see. And yeah, it, that's the only thing that made me wonder really was that, that selection of Keen. I don't know if maybe that me's maybe just not got as much fitness as, as Keen. I don't know if it's, if there's any reason for that uh, or if it's just for. Dice just pulled pulled some names out of a hat, and it was me who got the night off. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised. Like you, I thought it's it's an opportunity to look at me and Tarkovsky, which everyone assumes is going to be the pairing for next season. But yeah, maybe he was having a look at Tarkovsky and Keane as a pairing. Um, Cards on the table. I'm at the point now where I want Tarkovsky in the team, and I want him to play centre back with Keane. I know Ben Mee's got a lot of big supporters, and I think he's had a very good season, but. As, as Kev said earlier, some of the players are at the top of their game. Ben Mee is at the top of his game. He's not going to get any better. I think Tarkovsky, if he's not already, has the potential to be better than Ben Mee. Um, Natalie, what's your take on this? We didn't come to you earlier on Tarkovsky in midfield. Are, are you at the stage now where you think he has to play and it's a case of finding a space? Or is it just good to have that, that extra cover and options? Um, yeah, it, it's the, from an opinion point of view, it's a, it's a full house from me. And I think it's absurd to think that we have to try and shoehorn Tarkovsky into a midfield. Um, I can't really add anything to what on top of what you guys have already said. Um, it, it's very difficult not to get ridiculously excited about his performances when he has been in the squad playing in his position. Um, even right back in the early start of the season, he was the only positive from a really dismal night away at Stanley. Um, but his performance last uh, Tuesday, was it? it was last Tuesday against Sunderland, was was unreal. He was absolute class. Um, I can't, I'm so, so torn. It feels... It feels so brutal to sit here and say that Ben Mee now has to be dropped because he's just done so well. And But ah, just the excitement. Do you remember we were talking a few weeks ago and we were saying about how one of the main reasons why we want to see Defoe on the pitch all the time is that we, we want to enjoy what being entertained by that class of football. I want to sit and watch a side that has got Keenan Tarkovsky. As, yeah. as a central defensive I think the, pairing. the benefit is that Tarkovsky's distribution is so much better. I yeah, think that gives us is. an extra an extra dimension. Having two defenders who can bring the ball out. Yeah. I think that's a massive plus. So many teams in the Premier League maybe have one. But if you've only got one, like we've got one, everyone knows Keane can pass the ball out. I think that but, that means that teams will put the pressure on Ben Mee because they know he's less yeah. comfortable on the ball. Whereas and that's if you've where got two centre backs, you can't you can't press them both. No, um, you're right. And yeah, they play very similar. They've got a very similar style of bringing the ball down and passing it out. And when you watch them play, they, they, they mirror each other and it would be so exciting to see them both play. And I just, it would be nice to get that opportunity in the second half of this season um, before we do lose, assuming we do lose Keane um, in the summer. It just, it just feels very... It doesn't feel like the Burnley way, does it? It doesn't feel like we're traditionally that ruthless where, like you say, no. players having the... the, the it would, it would be harsh. There's no doubt it. It would be harsh. I yeah. mean, we, we got to 10th in the league with Ben Mee playing centre-back, so... Exactly. It's not like there's been anything wrong with him. 
And they do. It's just, me and Keith is Tarkovsky a better together. option? That's that's the yeah. only. Quite, you've got to boil it down to that, and you've got to be really ruthless. Is Tarkovsky going to be better than Ben May? Yeah, I and think it's an unknown, but you only find out by doing it. Play them. Yeah, I think for me, probably the. It, I mean, bear in mind this is a very very close call for me. It's it's a really really tough decision, but I think possibly the one factor that would swing it for me is that Tarkovsky bring Tarkovsky brings to his game an unbelievable air of calm. Something happens when he comes on that pitch and everybody just relaxes and I don't worry about him and he just he brings this level headed and this real maturity to his game that really is far advanced to his years and it, it Ben Mee doesn't have that I sometimes panic with Ben Mee Ben Mee does his Ben Meeism every single game like he will make a mistake per game we know that and a lot of the time now he's learnt in his game to be able to recover from them well and we don't concede as many goals as we did maybe last season um, or the season before because of his mistake or certainly when he was playing at left back um, when he made those mistakes and it, it cost us dearly um, this season he's recovering from them better so that's a big improvement in his game but at the moment bearing in mind this is only from what we've seen and we haven't had the length of time to assess Tarkovsky like we've had with me. So who knows? This this may not be, you know, right. But like you say, we're not going to know until we see them in the squad. But that's probably my um my swing for me. I think just his is is calm and his um just this very strange um maturity he brings to the game. It's it's, it's quite interesting you, you talked about that actually, because it's it's almost like Ben Mee and Tarkovsky are like polar opposites in terms of their playing style. Ben Mee's almost like he's like passion on a stick. It well, there's no stick, so it's just it's basically Ben Mee. <laughs> he's like it's old fashioned Ben Mee. It's like it's like a an eighties footballer. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just you don't see defenders like him very often anymore. No, he's almost like completely raw. He's, he's, he's not raw in like a untested sense, but he's very raw in that he's very he's very passionate. He he will throw everything on the line. He'll you know we obviously we all know that remember that when he threw his head in front of a ball at, at Reading, and he's he's almost like quite erratic in almost a, a defensive style. He's very yeah, but very just very passionate and very just on the edge. Whereas Tarkovsky almost seems a complete opposite in that. Um, where if if you imagine you can imagine Ben Mee running around running all over the place, whereas Ben Tarkovsky would just be walking around kind of. Yeah, cool. I think that's because Tarkovsky reads the game better than me. Yeah, so yeah, a lot absolutely. of Mee's clearances and blocks and and giving away the penalty at Arsenal is because he's straining, he's desperate to get the ball away, but he doesn't maybe think as well as Tarkovsky. I think Ben Mee is the hero we want, need, and deserve, and I wouldn't drop <laughs> Ben <him>. Mee's Batman. <laughs> Ben Mee, the, the way he play, he plays, he plays with a, a passion that is just lacking in in football these days. And you know, Tarkovsky he looks a great centre half. I don't think we've seen enough of him yet at the Premier League level to say we should bring him in for Ben Mee. When I think Ben Mee and Keane together have been absolutely fantastic, and they both made mistakes. Ben Mee's granted he, he gets away with less. I think Michael Keane manages to make less significant mistakes than, than Ben Mee does. But you know, how many players have you seen do what Ben Mee did a few seasons ago where he threw his head in front of the ball at point-blank range? Yeah, his commitment's never been in doubt. He, he, he basically puts his body on, on the line every game. I, I believe, actually, I remember him saying a few years ago, or maybe last season, he lost a tooth against Wolves. How does a footballer lose a tooth in the modern game? <laughs> 
But nobody's, none of yeah. us are actually saying that that Ben Mee doesn't deserve his, his place in, in the side, though. And I understand that, Birdie. But nobody's saying Ben Mee now is now. What they're saying is, is that as good as Ben Mee is and as brilliantly as he's doing, we have an option of maybe doing a little bit better. Yeah, and I'm, I'm making the case why he's got something that Tarkovsky doesn't have. Yeah, that's true. And it's the trade-off, isn't it? It is the trade-off. That he has that desperation and desire that teams like us maybe need. You know, it, we're yeah, not going to outplay any sides in the Premier League. But what we can do is, you know, outpassion them. And, and players like Ben Mee, you know, they're a rarity. <laughs> they're, a, they're a rarity in the modern game. They, yeah, they, I think the... You uh, are right, I do agree. The argument is it's it's taking a more medium-term view, isn't it? If, if we want to be an established Premier League club, we might need players who've got something a bit more. And I've, that's why I make the case for Tarkovsky, because I think he's... His skill set is more rounded, and he's more developed as a as a footballer. Ben Mee's a pure defender for me, whereas Tarkovsky's a footballer. That's the difference between the two. But I agree. Me, me and Keane works as a partnership because Keane's got that class, and Mee's got the desire to head everything and kick everything and clear everything. So they do work as a pairing. I just wonder if Tarkovsky and me, Tarkovsky and Keane, sorry, is a pairing because they're both so comfortable on the ball, gives us more of a an ability to keep possession, whereas I think sometimes we lose the ball too easily because we go long from the back and the passing's not accurate, it's just desperately trying to get rid of the ball and then it comes straight back and puts under a bit of pressure sometimes, I think. We might never see Keane and Tarkovsky because obviously Keane's going to go a billion on deadline day to Man City. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not the case. <laughs> Everyone's assuming we'll keep Keane until the summer at least. Billion. Keane's ruled himself out, hasn't he, until the summer. He's ruled himself out of moving in January yeah. already. He's done it again, so I don't think we need Play, to worry about that. Players have said that and gone, but I don't see I'd be that very being surprised. The case, yeah. for Michael Keane. Um, looking ahead to the weekend's game then, cup action at Surfmore again. Feels like we've just had a cup game, we've got another one. Fourth round, Bristol City, the visitors. Um, a bit of a banana skin, maybe Kevin will be hot favourites for this one. Nine home wins already this season, championship team coming to the turf. Presumably we'll rotate a bit. Um, similar team to that's played in the summer matches, do you think? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd expect a very similar team. Weirdly, um, I feel less confident about this game as I did for the, for the Sunderland game, um, which seemed quite, it's almost like it, it just doesn't seem to make a lot of logical sense considering that obviously uh, Sunderland were a Premier League team, but this is probably maybe Bristol City might get raise their game a little bit more than Sunderland might. Uh, obviously, Sunderland are in a diabolical state. Um, of we, there's also you know the psychological side from our side as well. Um, as as good and as focused as, as players are when you're playing a lower league team, there's, there's probably there's always going to be a little bit of drop. That seems to always happen. Whatever team, whatever player, whatever manager, that always seems to happen a little bit. So. Yeah, there's the potential bit of banana skin in there, but I think it's a fantastic opportunity to uh, to to move into the next into the next round, and we're we're, we're a very professional team. Um, it might, I think, you know, it, it might be a bit of, of the, the Premier League is so high high pressure, particularly with a few um, winnable away games coming up um, in the next next couple of months. The the pressure is going to be going to get on a little bit more for Burnley, perhaps. So. The, this this cup could be a really nice kind of respite for us and, and a chance to get out there and enjoy it a little bit more, perhaps. And yeah, I'd 
it, it, it's definitely a potential behind the skin, but I fully expect us to go on and, and progress. Yeah, I think it, it it would be a shock. Like it's weird to talk about Burnley being potentially the victims of a cup shock, but I think that's that's what it'd be. Bristol City towards the bottom of the Championship. They've lost eight in a row in the league. They needed two games to get past Fleetwood, who are in League One. So they're clearly not in the best of form, James. They're not a very good side, it's got to be said. But we we can't be complacent about this. We've still got to turn up and do our jobs. Yeah, um, I think it's one of those ones where. Um, we've just got to make sure we do a professional job. I think more of the third round replay than uh, the third round first attempt. Um, you know, if we can, you know, we can get away with a, a decent amount of squad rotation because we are playing a, a side with a lot of lower quality. But I think we just need to look to try and score score early and uh, you know take control of the game and, and, and play it out and, and make sure we don't give them the. The opportunity to try and cause an upset because obviously their players will be, I think, more up for it than they would have been in in the previous round where you know they're playing a, a lower league opposition. It's probably hard to motivate yourself when you're not the best of sides in the first place because you know you, you're not going to get much publicity out of beating an even worse side. Um, but obviously, if they came to the turf and with the way we've played at home in the Premier League, it would be a big story. So I think the players would be quite up for it. Yes. Yeah, it can only be that the players don't think they have to perform to their best, but now we we don't see that from Dash teams. So he'll be drilling the team and the same message as ever: be relentless, make sure you do your best. And like James says, getting a fast start is going to be really crucial. So as soon as we get in front at home, we normally see games out. Yeah, we definitely do. I'm personally not entertaining any of these discussions about this being a potential banana skin. I think that this will be... It's balanced. We obviously all think we're going to win easily. In case any Bristol City fans listen, we just want to be respectful. Obviously, we're going to win about (laughs) 12-0. So, for the benefit of our very large Bristol City office (laughs) every week on the podcast, yes, it's going to be a close game. Yes, you're going to commit. No, I'm not having this. No, I, I fully expect this to be a very comfortable win. I expect it to be a disciplined performance maybe once at a time we could have looked at this and, and thought that their heads might be turned slightly or they might have been a little bit ill-disciplined but we just simply do not see that from Sean Dyche's side especially not this season either and I think there are one of the benefits from having a good squad now and, and to really improve the players that are coming in is that we have got players who, I mean, it sounds totally cliched and I know Deitch says this, but we have players who are absolutely 100% committed and ready to come on and steal the places from the current first team as soon as they get. And I just do not think that these players will waste that opportunity by putting in a bad performance um, against um, a, a championship side in the cup. I think they learnt that lesson and I think the players who put in that performance at, at Stanley in the League Cup away early on in the season they learnt their lesson from that and I don't think they'll make that mistake again I am expecting this to be a, a comfortable sale round to the fifth round well you've said it now <laughs> we'll do <laughs> predictions uh, shortly round off podcast with predictions as ever but got some thank yous to do after our successful kickstarter we raised over a thousand pounds lots of exciting things coming um, as a result of those fundraising efforts these are some of the people who pledged to our kickstarter so thanks to nathaniel bullow pete johnson john gibble i hope i'm saying these names right ian montgomery philip cropper graham ramshead robert price matthew stewart john roberts and jim smith all those people pledged 
and are now supporters and friends of Known and Ever, and we are incredibly grateful. But we will round off with the Predictions League, and we've got a jingle! A Predictions League jingle! Incredible! Predictions, predictions, it's the Prediction League. Well, I've got a jingle! I've got a jingle! Welcome to the Claude, Kevin. It's, it's, it's well a nice made. place to be. <laughs> I want a jingle. Where's my jingle? You've got to get a feature first. Your jingle is for theme tune, Jamie. You my get, feature you is the podcast. I was just saying as well, I think obviously Jamie's got the, the actual theme tune given it's his podcast. Both Kevin and I have got jingles. My podcast. We need a kite bell for when James has to put money in the swear box every time he mentions Kitely. We need a little bell for that. So. Or just some sort of jingle for every time I'm absolutely bang on the money with my opinion. Can we stop talking over my feature now? Yeah. Kevin, do your feature. Natalie, Natalie was almost right. How almost right was Natalie? I, find, I finally oh. get a feature and then Natalie's trying to take over it by talking. <laughs> hey, How dare that you? Was me. That was them two. Oh my God. Well. As Natalie says, it's my podcast. I'm going to bring it back. Do the predictions <laughs> a bit. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, thanks. To, uh, uh, we had a couple of jingles sent in, um, but this one was the, the cheesiest, which means it wins. Um, so <laughs> what, what a week in the predictions league. We've got me and James pulling well ahead. Um, me and James, I've, we, I, I got my, after the Sunderland game, I had a 100% record uh, with two correct results and scores, which is fantastic. <laughs> But sadly, um, sadly, I predicted the two nil, a two nil defeat at Arsenal. And we got a goal. Damn you! Sadly, great. we scored a goal. Yes, <laughs> um, which meant James, with his two one prediction, was able to claw back. And me and James are now level at the top of the table. Whereas Ooh. Natalie and Jamie are somewhere well behind with two points each. Me and James are seven. I was so close, my one one though. So goddamn close. Well, I, I, I was almost, te- I was almost tempted to give you the three points purely because it should have been. It, no, the, that's not proper score should have been one-one. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could say that, that the two-one and what it's done for the predictions league was any sort of consolation for the way we were robbed, but unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> and I've got to say, because me and James are now on equal points, um, I originally I've had to tweak the way the, the spreadsheet works because I originally had it that if we had equal points, it would then go alphabetical. Um, but I need to tweak it so that then I could be top because um... <laughs> <laughs> so eventually it will that. be whoever gets the most correct scores will be top. Yes, if it's level. Yeah, but me and James, me and James, you yeah, putting me, yourself top. Me and James are currently completely level. So at the end of the season, hopefully we won't be in a situation where that happens. But um, as I'm it's now, I'm, I'm going to win this go. <laughs> I've had to go reverse uh, reverse um, alphabetical now. But yeah, Jim, Natalie, you've got a long way to go. Yeah, well, I'm going to yeah, pull yeah, rank. Well. I'm going first because I'm last. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to go first this week. And I'm going to predict Burnley will beat Bristol City 4-1. Natalie, you can go next. I am going to predict that Burnley will beat Bristol City. You sure you don't have a bad feeling about this? <laughs> no, I don't do that at home anymore. It's working. I go through my new turnstile, which is becoming really good. <laughs> new number of turnstiles. Predict- my new numbered turnstile, which is now no longer numbered. It's just some generic turnstile that nobody needs to know. And I predict a nice positive win, and it's working. I'm taking credit for this home form. God damn yeah, well you. Well done. Well done. <laughs> I'm going to use my new turnstile, and I am going to predict a Burnley 4 nil win. Oh, 4 1, 4 nil then. James, what's your call? Really annoyingly, Bromers is a storm. I was going for. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but 
But as I've proven previously, I'm not going to do a Smith and change what day because that I think that is why you're ultimately performing the way you are, Smith. It was that I... week one decision. <laughs> it was that I... week one decision wow. to change your mind, and it Burn. just cursed you. That That's is true. it. From that That's point true. on, you were just destined to fail. Um, so I'm going to go for now as well. <laughs> Kevin, why don't you just make it four 0 for you as well, and then? But we're not going to score four goals. Um, <laughs> I, I, you all, I'm going to the go negativity up. there. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going absolutely to four. We scored four goals against Sunderland about five minutes ago. Look, I'm going to stay on brand for no negative and go for a two 0 win, which is two 0 Pathetic, absolutely pathetic. <laughs> Um, and all that bombshell that will end this week's podcast um, thank you as ever thanks to Rick who provides the artwork the artwork is absolutely excellent this week it's one of the best I think Rick's done for us um, thanks to Adam who edits even though he's editing this week so no thanks to Adam <laughs> thanks to everyone who listens to the podcast if you want to get in touch with us you always can do email address is podcast at net, and you can tweet us as well at never. Nets. But that's it for this week. Thanks to James, Kevin and Natalie who've joined me. I've been Jamie Smith. This has been the Not and Ever podcast and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. What a great moment. Thanks to Adam who edits the podcast. He's not editing this week so actually no thanks. <laughs>